Holy Spirit's in this place tonight, isn't he? It was a great worship service. Uh, where is Labiche? Has anybody know James Labiche, the guy who was standing right here singing? He's doing a great job. And, and it's fun to say Labiche. He's French. He's got to be. Right? Just like all the other French people from the south. <laughs> we don't know how to say their name. We are in a series uh, called Signs. Jesus performed uh, seven major signs in the book of John that were recorded that all point to Jesus. Every one of us can get a different lesson out of each one of these signs. We've gone through turning the water into wine and the blessing that he wants us to have. The official son, healing the paralytic. He was down for 38 years. Jesus feeds the 5,000, walks on water. All these point us to Jesus the Savior in different specific ways. Today, Jesus causes the blind to see in John chapter 9. In this passage that we're going to read, we think of blind spots. We all have blind spots in our life. Blind spots keep us from seeing clearly. Blinding lights. If you've ever played baseball and you're in the outfield and the sun is blinding you, the best you can do is guess where it's going and hold on for dear life and pray it doesn't hit you in the head. Blinding lights block out what we really want to see or even need to see. When we have blind spots in our car, we have to think twice before changing lanes. Being blindsided when you're not looking hurts a lot more than when you see it coming, right? It can cause a shock to your system. All blinding situations can be dangerous. What we can't see can hurt us. Being blind leaves us vulnerable. It leaves us exposed, primarily to unsafe circumstances. God wants you to be able to see, and he does so with a different set of eyes when we know him. To me, this is one of the great chapters in the New Testament. And I don't want us to miss any of this story, so we're going to read the entire chapter. And I'm going to invite you, because usually we stand for the reading of God's Word, but I'm going to invite you for the initial reading by standing now, and the words are going to be on the screen as well. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So we went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. 
Others said no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. And now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. And we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will... God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered him, Who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, 
your guilt remains. You may be seated. We see right out of the gate, the first thing we notice in this passage is that people notice suffering and they want to figure it out and explain why it happens the way it happens, don't we? Why did this happen the way it happened? First of all, I want us to notice that there's a mystery in suffering. There's a mystery that all of us go through that through every loss we experience, there is a process that we go through to heal, if you will. And much of that healing takes place by asking ourselves questions and prayer. In verse 1, we see Jesus notices this blind man on the side of the road. And in verses 2 and 3, immediately the disciples begin drilling him. His disciples asked him in verse 2 and 3, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It wasn't the man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. The disciples noticed the blind man, but differently than Jesus noticed the blind man, right? Immediately they say, Who sinned? There was a belief, and the rabbis used to debate about this, that everyone is a sinner, which is true, but you're a sinner even in your mother's womb before you were born. So this guy was a sinner from before he was born. He must have done something wrong. The parents must have sinned and passed this down. It was an Old Testament belief that the parents sinned, they can pass for generations the curse of the sin. Something must have caused this condition. We reap what we sow, right? We've got to have a solution. What about Job, though? In Job's example, he did nothing wrong. It wasn't that he wasn't a sinner, but he did nothing wrong, but they discount that. And every one of these Jews know that story. Every one of the rabbis knows that story. But the possibility that that exists didn't cross the disciples' mind. In spite of this, they hang on to the everyone must have done something wrong to, to get blindness. If they were born with a condition like this, he must have done something or his parents. So that was the question they asked Jesus. I want you to notice that Jesus sees different, differently than you and I see things. I can only see clearly after I have met him with his glasses. He says to his disciples, you have the wrong formula. You don't have the right formula. You think you have the right formula. Why? That the works of God might be displayed here. Without him being blind, healing wouldn't take place and a testimony wouldn't have existed. We could only see that after Jesus met the blind man. The disciples are really asking a why question, but when we ask a why question, we have to realize there's two ways to ask a why question. One, there's a cause. What caused this? That's how they ask the question. If I have um, some sickness in my life, something must have caused that, so I go to the doctor to try and figure out how to fix it. 
take medicine, don't emulate that again. If I'm allergic to something, I have to find out what it is so that I don't eat that some more and I'm not sick anymore. There's got to be a cause and effect. The other is there's a purpose. Why? What is the purpose? And that's what Jesus wanted to drive home to them. That there is so much that can happen in suffering in our lives that has a purpose. And we miss that purpose if we, surpass, if we pass the Savior and hang on to the wrong question of causation. Does that make sense? If I wake up every day and my knees hurt, I want to ask myself, what can I do to make them stop hurting? But when I focus on the purpose, I'm not looking so much at the past and what brought us to this point. I'm looking from this point to the future. I'm looking to what I can do. The rearview mirror is so much smaller, even though objects appear bigger, right, than the front windshield. The front windshield is where I'm going, and that's where Jesus was trying to get them to look. Stop focusing on the cause and start thinking about the purpose. We need to tr stop trying to figure out the past and start looking towards the future because that's where we're going to be living. And we live in the present, and sometimes we don't have answers. We do know this. I've gone through you know, a couple of deaths in a week, one which was very close. And many people ask why. But when you get to experience a celebration of life with someone you know where he's going, and you get to see the legacy of his life, of God lived out through him and how it touched hundreds of people, you see purpose. And that's worth celebrating, knowing that 100% of people on earth are going to die. There's a mortality rate, but we look, like, we look at that as suffering and we go, how can we prevent saints from going to heaven? Let me tell you something, I want to go to heaven. <laughs> I'm ready to go, but there's a reason I'm not there yet, and that's because there's some blindness that exists God wants to use me to clear up. There's some blindness that exists around people that you know that he wants to use you to help clear up. You become a change agent for this to happen. Look forward to the future. The wise person chooses to focus on the future rather than the past and focus on the friends and the outward and see the blind man, whoever it is, when Jesus is passing through his eyes and not just see through our eyes. The second thing we want to talk about is the miracle of how he was healed. The miracle of sight. It's nice when cloud cover comes and you're trying to catch that baseball. You even pray for it because you don't want to be hit. There's a strange way that Jesus heals this man. He takes mud. He makes mud out of saliva. Mixes it in with the dirt. And then he rubs that on his eyes and he says... Now, go. And the guy's still got saliva and mud. He can't see yet. The miracle isn't complete until he goes to the pool of Siloam, right? First, he creates from the dust. Most Bible scholars believe this connects this event with God's original creation. He made us from the dust. He created every 
human from dust. God formed men in Genesis 2 from the dust of the ground. In other words, in the beginning, he used dirt to create something brand new that wasn't there before. Often, we want a reparation of something, and technically, this was a healing. But when you are born blind, you don't know what it's like to see. It's not like I was sick, and then I got, I was well, then I got sick, and I want to be restored. Maybe God wants to do something, maybe you want God to do something brand new in your life. Not just to restore something, but something brand new. These past few weeks, we've been talking about miracles. This is a miracle of new wineskins that old wine will not fit in. It is a new, behold, I'm doing a new thing. We miss the new thing when we hang on to old things. Don't we? He requires, he requires obedience. He creates, he starts new, but then he requires us to participate. In the last, all of the miracles that we've looked at, in the water to wine, what did Jesus tell the people there to do? You go put water in those pots. And they did it, and the miracle happened. Remember when he multiplied the bread and the fish? The disciples participated. He gave them, he took the fish from the boy and the bread, and then he gave it to the disciples, and they distributed it. There was a participation aspect to this. When he was walking on the sea, he invited Peter to come out, and then he calmed the storm and was with them through the whole process. There's a pattern. So many times when Jesus performs a miracle, people aren't just passive observers. You are to be an active participant in your own salvation. Jesus actually invites them to take action in order to experience the miracle. And here, he sends him over to the pool with mud all over his face. Can you imagine how he got there? A blind man. He probably needed assistance and what about the people looking at him going, what? what? That dude's got mud all over his face. Trying to figure out what's happening. It didn't make sense to him, yet he just obeyed. He doesn't say, Jesus doesn't tell him, go, and by the way, this will heal you. He made the mud, put it on his eyes, and he says, go. And that was all he told him. He didn't have to go, Right? This guy does not experience the miracle until he obeys what Jesus tells him to do. That's what it means to us also. Maybe you're looking for better relationships. You need to look in different places. Maybe to be an active participant in your own salvation means to change some things that you know God is telling you to do. Maybe you've got a business. Maybe you've got a job that you can't stand. But God has called you out and out of fear of losing income to move forward, you haven't gone out in faith. But God is right here saying, come. It's our job to go to the pool when God calls us to go to the pool. And if we are spending time with him, we will hear him when he calls us. And he will use other people, his word, your spouse. I want you to spend more time praying. What is God calling me to do to get out of my comfort zone so that I might start anew? That's what it looks like for us. One thing I see in this passage 
He breaks out of our boxes. We all put God in a box, a nice, comfortable little box that makes sense. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. The religious leaders had a very rigid understanding of the Sabbath. 39 rules. You couldn't do these restrictions on the Sabbath. One of the rules was you cannot cultivate earth. What is mixing saliva or wet anything with dirt? Cultivation. Jesus pinpoints, not for the first time, the importance that man was made for the Sabbath, not the Sabbath for man. That we are so much more important to him that he will choose to heal on the Sabbath, breaking a law that wasn't made for man. It was made to restrict man, thinking that they're doing what's right. You have to wear a tie. You have to dress like this. You have to look like this to be acceptable. You have to make X amount of dollars to be acceptable. In man's eyes, you are never going to measure up, so why try anyway? Anybody who breaks these laws, they were so hung up on their little perfect boxes that they couldn't see past the box to see the Savior. They were expecting him to come and do what? Free them from Rome. They weren't expecting him to come and die on a cross. They, their expectations locked in a box kept them from enjoying salvation. Old wineskins in your life are going to wear out. New wineskins are going to come, but the old, it's not going to fit in the old wineskin. We cannot think the same way we used to. There's a generation coming up right now that needs Jesus. And if we are stuck in a mindset that we have to think certain ways and pass that on, and if they don't understand these certain things that aren't necessarily biblical things, but they're cultural things... We can block God's work through us to reach our next generation. Let's look at the meaning of the sign. What does all this mean? The man laid down immediately. He worshiped Jesus. His heart is touched and changed because of the healing that's taken place. His eyes are open after he goes and obeys and participates. Jesus meets him, introduces himself, and that he's the son of man. We see this in Daniel chapter 7, a direct reference to the Messiah that they were expecting. In John 9, verse 37 and 38, Jesus said to him, You've seen me. After he asked, who is this? And it is he who is speaking to you. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The word worship means to crouch down in homage. He is humbled before the Lord. He is overwhelmed. Has God made a change in your life that has been so overwhelming that it makes you drop? to your feet, that you are willing to do anything but perfect worship. Perfect worship, we find in Romans 2, 
laying your body down, a living sacrifice. That is the picture here. A man who was healed, that was sitting there hopeless, couldn't see, didn't know what it was like to see, suddenly can because he had his spiritual eyes open when his eyesight cleared up. Number one, how do you know? How do you know when your spiritual eyes are open? I'll tell you. You see God for who he is. We see Christ for who he is. He's not just Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth. He's the son of man. He's not just another religion. He's the God of the universe that created you and I for his purposes. And he can relate to 8 billion people at one time and listen to your prayers. And your grandparents and your great-grandparents who are already with him right now worshiping. You can know that you know that you know that he is from God because he makes intercession with your spirit when you're saved. Verse 33 says, if this man were not from God, he couldn't do these things, right? You see, we have to see God for who he is. Is he who he says he is, or is he just another way? That's an, important, that's an important question. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. This passage of scripture, he says, if he weren't God, he could do nothing. He couldn't do these things if he weren't from God. If he were not the son of man. Here's another. We have to see ourselves for who we really are. When I see God for who he really is, it brings me at a crossroads of, God, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You see, if I'm not a sinner, if I'm not a beggar in need, it, I don't need him. If I'm a good person who's running around checking my religious boxes, and I can't see that God would send anyone to hell, and I just can't accept that there's a, a jealous God. Well, you know what? You're, you're eventually going to know. We need to know now. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. He answered, and who is he, sir? that I might believe him. He was ready to go because I believe at that point he, he was taken off because he knew who was speaking to him. He knew there was power. Who, who rubbed the healing power into his eyes and gave him a command and he said, you know what? I'm going. That is the one. Verse 39 and 41 through 41, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see might see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees, this infuriated. Are we blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you wouldn't have guilt. You would have no guilt. The worst condition we can be in as a non-believer with no need of a Savior, with no guilt. But now you say 
we see, your guilt remains. You see, they thought that they saw what they did not see. And because they had all the answers, they didn't need the Savior. They had him in a box. They refused to see him for who he was, and they refused to see their own sin, so they remained in it. I don't know how I thought of this. I was in the shower. God gives us grace. We can't see his grace physically, I mean spiritually. The correlation physically. I was in fifth grade, or second grade I think it was, and I was told that I couldn't see anything. I'd always look like this. And my teacher saw it, and she said, you need to go to, this, you need to, go to the eye doctor. I go to the eye doctor, and they say, dude, your son's blind. He's got to wear these glasses. And this was 1970-something. And, you know, they give you the big ginormous glasses that were made out of glass, and they were heavier than my head. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I can't play football in these things. I feel stupid. I look ridiculous. I'm not wearing them. But when I got the glasses, I got them home, and I put them on my face, and I looked out for the first time in my life, the grass had blades on it, right? It was amazing. I, I saw things that I'd never seen before because I put my glasses on. Physically, I could see the grass. With blockages spiritually, we can't see God's grace. We need to see what God wants us to see. His grace comes from putting his glasses on. His mercy. He wants you to be able to see. The spiritually blind were looking for a political leader, and they missed him because of that. Finally, I think we've got to stand amazed at God's grace. That he would love me. That he would die for me. That he would love me and you. John Newton was a slave trader in the 1700s. He was a terrible man. John Newton got convicted. God began to work in his heart. And during a storm on a ship, a slave trip ship, John Newton gave his life to Christ. John Newton left the slave trade and spent the next 43 years in ministry as a, as a preacher. When he was 82 years old, he's on his deathbed and he says this, My mind is nearly gone, but I remember two things. I'm a great sinner, and that Jesus is a great Savior. I am a great sinner, and he is a great Savior. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And I want you to ask yourself tonight, who is he to you, and who do you see yourself? You see, as believers, we can... Be good for a while and then fall right back in 
to putting God in a box and not experiencing miracles in our lives. God wants to do something new. And he wants to remove our blinders constantly through a process called sanctification. He wants to not add things to your life, not give you more information that will kind of help you grow so much as he wants to pinpoint something that you think might be okay, but it's not. And he wants healing to take place and remove that from your life to see that you didn't need that. You see, he's burning the unnecessary. Paul says... All things are legal, but not all things are beneficial. I have a calling for you. And I know what it looks like, the Lord says. You don't, but I want to show you. So Jesus passes you by. See yourself as the blind. You look up to him and you're willing to just say, yes, sir. I am willing to seek you with all of my heart. I'm willing to open the word and say, you show me what you want that I might let it go because I want all that you want from me, not just some. I don't want to just coast out with my fire insurance policy knowing that I'm good and I'm going to heaven. At Mike Stockton's funeral, you saw a legacy from his kids, from his grandkids that talked about how they loved spending time with him. And they knew where he was. And because of his faithfulness, they followed him in ministry or they followed his example in business. And you could tell there was a genuine love the legacy that we leave here is not for us. It's not for so we can get a street sign. It's for him. The legacy that you leave should have Jesus' name all over it. That David was healed. David was comforted. So he went and comforted others. There was proof in the pudding. Tonight, as you stand, and I'm going to invite you to stand right now. I'm going to pray for you. I want you to worship, but I want you to think. Where are you? What blind spot do you maybe have? Ask him and he will reveal that. You see, what we didn't know, what I didn't tell you yet, is what Newton wrote, John Newton, and you guys are all too familiar with this, and it was on the screen just a minute ago. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind. He didn't know it, but now I see. I'm going to be down front. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to wait down here. I want you to just worship. Pray where you are. If you need prayer for anything, this altar is open. Randy, you can raise your hand. Randy will be in the back. If you need prayer and you don't want to walk down front, go to the back. Heavenly Father, we thank you for 
the miracle that you showed us, the starting over and doing something brand new, often comes from us realizing who you really are and seeing ourselves for who we really are and responding. That blind man, he could have, he could have just not gone to the pool. He could have even been healed, experienced a miracle. And then when he came back and he asked Jesus who he was and he said that I'm, I'm the Messiah, he bowed down and worshiped you and he is in heaven today glorifying you because of this message. Lord, we want to be the examples like him, that our legacy be one that says, I once was blind, but now I see. Show us our blind spots.